Um, for the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about I, or being connected to the vine. Um, I don't know if you've been here or not, but I've been hearing that we've been uh, connected to the vine. Uh, we've been talking about how God is this vine dresser who nurtures and cares for um, the people in his flock, the people in his body, the people that are on his trellises and his uh, vineyard. Um, and it is his desire that he sets us up to produce lasting fruit in our lives, that God's not out to harm us. He's not out to, to mess with us. He's not out to annoy us or frustrate us, even though that annoyance and frustration sometimes are the byproducts of him pruning vines. Um, there was a wise guy that said one time that people will believe a lie because they want it to be true or they're afraid that it's true. And with the, the concept of God being this vine dresser, the enemy wants to come in always and start sowing seeds of lies in our life. You know, when we believe a lie about God, it messes with his ability, or not messes with his ability, it messes with his interaction in our lives. So many people believe that God is out to harm them or really doesn't love them, or if he actually loves them, it's a weird definition of the word love. It's not love the way we think of love. When God loves, like, he hits us in the head with a shovel. That's just him loving you. And that's just a lie that the enemy sows in there. But when we realize the truth, that vision of God the tyrant, God the villain, just kind of vanishes. You know, I've got vivid memories of uh, my mom and dad, like, trying to pull splinters out of my fingers. Like, um, I don't know if your boys were ever like this, but for a boy, every stick is a sword and every tree is a giant. So I slayed a lot of giants in my life, you know, with my little swords, um, and I would get splinters in my hands all the time, and so, like, mom would be like, okay, let's get out the needle. I'm telling you, there is no phrase worse to a kid than, let's get the needle out. And so, like, my mom would, like, get me, like, in an arm bar, and I'm, like, you know, flipping out, you know, like, mom, you're hurting me. She'd get my arm in an arm bar to try to get the splinter out. And I would fight against her because I thought that she was the one that was hurting me. And she wasn't hurting me. She was trying to get the splinter out. And I promise you, it wouldn't have hurt near as bad if I would have stopped fighting her on that. It's like, just, mom, just leave it in. Like, cut the finger off. Stop, stop getting the, the, the splinter out. Um, but we do the exact same thing with God. God comes along and says, hey, buddy. There's a splinter. If you'll just let me get that out, and we fall to pieces over it. Like, no, 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 cut it off. It's like, I haven't even touched you yet. It's like, I know, but it hurts. Um, when we respond that way with God, we fight against what he is doing in our lives. Now, when we believe a lie about God, it doesn't actually change who he is. It doesn't affect the nature of God. But when we realize the truth... What that does is unlock in us the ability to have a healthy relationship with our Father. So when I believe that God is a tyrant, it doesn't turn him into a tyrant, but it stops my relation with him. Because if I don't believe that God is a loving God, a nurturing, a caring God, I will not have a relationship with that loving, nurturing, caring God. Nurturing, not nurturing. Um, but when I realize the truth, all of a sudden I have the ability to be fruitful in my life. Oh, God, you're this vine dresser that's wanting me to be fruitful, and all you want to do is maybe just move a little branch from here to here? I think I won't fall to pieces this time. It's like, well, thank you for, you know, responding to the truth. And I partner with God, and all of a sudden, fruitfulness gets produced in our lives. Well, one of the ways that we figure this out is by discovering who we are 
as a person, by discovering our identity. And discovering the truth about who we are is vital on so many areas in our life. And it is necessary for us to have healthy relationships, not only with God, but with others. Um, you know, like, I would like to think as a teacher, like, we have the ability to uh, discuss all points that I've got like my chalkboard up here, and this morning we can take care of every mystery concerning your identity and who you are in Christ. But unfortunately, that is something that the Holy Spirit does for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, you're in this school of discovering parts of who you are, discovering parts of your identity. And when you die and go and be with Jesus, the process has not ended. Like, we will be discovering this stuff in eternity. So I apologize that Church on the Hill Sunday morning, we are not going to be able to scratch much of the surface on who you are in Christ. But I do want to focus on why it's important that you figure out who you are in Christ. Does that sound like a good idea? Of course. I want to mention that your identity is not just the sum of who you are. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that every time I've preached, I've had a cute baby picture. And so I think that they're like, we need to do like some kind of counseling that, to go back, like why in the world is this uh, stuck in my, in my mind? I want to let you know that your identity, who you are, is not just the facts about you. It's not that you have blonde hair or that you have brown hair or that you walk with a limp or you have a bad accent or, you know, anything like that. It's not just the facts about you. It is the root. It's the foundation of the reasons why you do what you do. Um, you know, a lot of people will say that character is who you look like when no one else is watching. Well, identity goes below that even. Like, you can't even see your identity. It's below the surface. And um, when we want to find out something about nature, if we want to figure out how a bird operates or how a worm slithers across the ground, because some people are into that, I am not, but some people are into it. Um, we look at it. We use our senses to observe nature, and then we use our reason and our logic to try to come up with a reason why we observed what we observe. Um, toddlers do this. Um, I don't know if you've been around kids, but I think that all toddlers and all babies have the universe split into two different categories. On one hand, things that are safe and fun to chew on, all right? And everybody knows that category is huge. And on the other hand, you have a category of things that are not fun and not safe to chew on. <laughs> it is one of my passions in life to feed babies lemons. I understand that it's wrong and I'm working on it, but I'm telling you, there is no greater joy than it's like, oh, you want a lemon? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Zane loves lemons. Um, Lord help Zane. Um, but we have, like, as toddlers and babies, we have the world split up with, I can chew on it, I can't chew on it, don't chew on this. Well, that's a by definition, it's a pretty immature way of looking at the world. I'm sure that those babies are finding out very important things about that lemon wedge. But when you want to look at what the identity of something is, you have to be a little bit more mature. You have to get in a little bit more information other than taste bad, taste good, taste bad, taste good. Well, we do that spiritually. We will judge spiritual things based on, I don't feel like this. I don't like it. This, doesn't, this song doesn't make me happy. I don't like that preacher. We judge spiritual things based on what they taste like. And if that's all we do, 
We are no different than a baby that's going around like, taste good, taste bad. We have to go a little bit deeper. And because our identity is even below the surface of our character, like how can you find it? How can you find out what's going on below that surface? Well, you have to get the word out and start unpacking and getting into the word of God to figure out what the truth of the world is. That is step one in discovering your identity. Find out what the word says about you. And then you have to figure out Are you going to base your life and your decisions on what the Word says or on what you feel like? Because that is the division of maturity. That is the division of of an immature believer and a mature believer. Well, I just feel that my world is falling apart. What does the Word say about it? Well, the Word says I'm fine, but I feel like... who, Who are our eyes? in the room, and I've got a feeling, I've got a feeling, oh, wow, no one raised their hands. Like, I figured all of our eyes would be like, woo, that's me. I'm par- There's an eye inside of me somewhere. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, come on Wednesday nights. Um, but we have these feelings of what we think truth is, but we have to go to the Word to figure out what actual truth is. Even though that there is more than uh, enough evidence to condemn us as being junky humans, When we go to the Bible, we see in the New Testament that because I've had an interaction with the gospel, everything is different. I was a junkie human, but I've encountered the gospel, and the gospel has made everything different in my life. Let me sum up the gospel for you. We, as humans, blew it. I don't know if you've blown it this week or this morning, but we blow it often. And one of the ways that we blow it is we want to distance ourselves from God and we want to live life on our own terms. God, you stay over there. I'll do my life over here. Well, when that broke relationship, Jesus didn't want to have a broken relationship with us. So he came down personally and fixed our relationship. And he fixed it by dying a death that we should have died. I should have paid the price for my sin. But he took the price for me. And because he took the price for me, he paid the debt that I should have died, I get the reward that he should have received. And no part about it at all is fair. This isn't fair. The gospel is not fair. It is good news. It is too good to be true. You mean you paid my debt and I get your reward? Yes. Why would I not sign up for that? Well, the reason why we don't sign up for it, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a relationship that's uh, fallen through before, but even though that you don't hold something against somebody, shame and pride will keep a relationship from being restored, even though that the price is paid. Like, say I have a friend that, you know, we've had, you know, we've separated, we've gone our separate ways, and I don't think anything bad about him or her. Him or her. I don't think bad about them. I don't think badly about them. Get all my grammar right. But that person will not come back into a relationship because they feel embarrassed. And so they distance themselves. And we do the exact same thing with God. He has given us this free gift of salvation, but we still keep him at arm's length because we try to climb up the mountain of success. We try to climb up the mountain of religious Um, pleasing to God. We try to prove to God that we are worthy of the free gift that he gave us. 
Now, when we go through the Bible, we see that anybody that tries to get into the sheepfold of salvation, other than the free door of Jesus, the Bible calls them thieves and robbers. And you know what we do with thieves and robbers? So I'm telling you, if you don't receive salvation as a free gift alone, you don't receive salvation. You have to pick one. You have to pick whether or not you want your identity to be in what you've done or what Jesus did. I can't try as hard as I can and then sprinkle a little Jesus on the top to bridge the gap. Or I can't trust in what Jesus did and then try to help him out a little bit at the end when I feel that he fails me. I either have to have completely Jesus or completely me. I either have to be judged on my actions or on his actions. I want to show you a picture. Okay, interaction. Who would rather the picture on the left, picture on the right? And I realize that for me it's backwards, but for you it works. Left, right. Okay, well, I hate to break it to you, but both of those scoops of ice cream are delicious, mouth-watering scoops of Crisco. Like, that is vegetable shortening. Any picture that you've ever seen on TV of a scoop of ice cream, it's vegetable shortening. Because with hot lights, ice cream melts and it doesn't look like that. So we can't look from the outside, we can't look from the surface and see what the substance of, of something actually is. You've got to bite into that to figure out what it is. And so now that we have had this interaction with the gospel, something's funny about us. We still can't tell if we've had an interaction with the gospel by judging us on our outside appearances. See, Jesus defeated the power of sin in the world. He forgave the world's debts. When he was on the cross, he paid the price for every sin that everyone ever committed. He didn't get a focus group. He didn't ask your opinion on whether or not you would like to be forgiven. He forgave you completely. There is no power of sin anymore over our lives. And that is a terrifying thing. It's like, well, no, there's tons of, of sin in my life. It's like, yeah, but it has no power over you. I want to read a, a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church had some issues. I don't know if you know that, but go back and read uh, through uh, 1 Corinthians. Starting in verse 9, it says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? What a horrendous verse. Those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. See if it gets any better. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people. Has anyone ever been greedy in the room? Or are drunkards or abusive? Have you ever been abusive to someone that cut you off in, the, in a road? Have you ever cheated anybody? Well, verse 10 says that none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Big red flag, because I am in that list. I have abused people. I have cheated someone. I have done wrong before. I am in this list. Let's read verse 11. 
Some of you once were like that. Well, no joke. Like you've spent five chapters talking about some of these people. Like we've pointed out point blank some of these people in this list. But, and can I just say thank God for all the buts about the gospel. This is true of me, but, says in verse 11, you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This was like you, but you've been cleansed. And Paul talks about point blank people in the Corinthian church that were still doing these actions. And so he's not saying that now, thank God that now that you're believers, none of you mess up. No, he's saying, look guys, you have forgotten what the gospel has done to you. You have slipped back into an old way of life, an old way of thinking, and you have forgotten that you're actually cleansed. You're pure. You're not underneath that anymore. And so when we see uh, believers lie, cheat, or steal, they're doing that because they've actually forgotten who they are and they're believing that they are liars. They are cheaters. They are thieves. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he removed the power of sin to affect your identity. See that when you tell a lie now, that's a sin and has a negative consequence, but no longer does that lie have the power to turn you into a liar. Even if you murder somebody, that sin does not have the ability to turn you into a murderer. So that when I do wrong, that wrongdoing no longer has the power to turn me into a wrongdoer. Because my identity is now found in Christ. My identity is no longer found in my actions. And those actions no longer have the power to turn me into someone that I'm not. Like, does that make sense? And I'm telling you, this is the crux of the gospel. And this is why it's important for us to find out who we are in Christ, what our identity is. We are different now because of the gospel. And we can't judge us. Just because you can't judge that ice cream and figure out if it's Crisco, we can't look at the outside actions of the people that we're sitting next to and gauge whether or not something has taken place on the inside of them anymore because we can't see their identity. And so two people sitting next to each other can tell a lie. One of them is a liar and one of them's not. And I can't tell from the outside surface. When we hold on to the sin of our identity, um, it pulls us down. When we take our identity and we put it in our actions, those actions are like an anchor that will drag us to the bottom of the ocean. And so when we sin, that's why we feel uh, shame. That's why we feel guilt. That's why we feel conviction. It's just a warning to let us know, hey, you are putting your identity in an action. Stop it. Your identity is in the actions of Christ, not my action. So I do something wrong, it's because I've forgotten who I am and I've started associating myself with a sin. And you'll, you'll see people do this. Well, I have an anger problem. No, you don't. You're set free. Well, I just can't stop looking pornography up. Yeah, you can. Sin no longer has the power to affect anybody in this room. Um, I don't know about your success that you've had with people, but when we deal with sin, 
I have not had much success in saying, stop it. Have you ever had success? Well, just stop it. Well, I just can't seem to get over this. Well, quit. Has anyone ever had success in that? I've never had success. Try harder. Run faster. Jump higher. That doesn't work with sin because it's not about an action. The sin doesn't have anything to do with an action. What we have to do is figure out what, what is the identity of the person. And when you call that out, then you can fix the sin problem. Then we can actually start being productive. So when we tell someone, stop sinning, we are wasting our breath. Well, we've come to the so what part of the morning. You know, all this information, that sounds great. You know, like I have no longer have a sin problem. Fantastic. I'm glad I know that. That doesn't really help me because <laughs> like, that truth does not mirror my life. Well, the way we get that to mirror our life is by confessing that junk out of our mouths. We have lies that we have believed about ourselves. If you have a problem with telling lies, I don't know, am I? Yeah. If you have a problem with telling lies, I bet you that you've started believing that you're a liar. And that telling of a lie is just a manifestation of a belief that you have. And it's a lie. It's a, it's a lie that you're a liar. How about that? It's like inception. Um, so what we have to do is call that for what it is. I am not a liar. I believed I'm a liar, and that's a lie. Get out of here, and we replace it with the truth. So I'm going to read through a few lies um, that I've heard that you know, some of my friends have walked through. And the Holy Spirit, like when I say a lie, is going to say, that's you. You believe this about yourself. If I say a lie that you believe, go ahead and own up to it. Say, that's me. I mean, not for us all to hear, but just say, that's me. I've believed that lie. Have you ever uh, heard a voice in your head say that I'll never amount to anything? And it's funny, when the enemy talks to us, he never says you. He always says I. So it sounds like our own voice. I'll never amount to anything. I'm lazy. I'm just a liar. I'm not going anywhere in life. I'm going to have to live with this condition or disease for the rest of my life. I'll never be able to make enough money. I'm going to end up just like my father or just like my mother. None of my friends like me. Have you ever felt any of those lies? Have you ever believed any of those lies? Well, confess that junk out of your mouth. Say, that is a lie. I want to read a few verses over you. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But, when we, uh, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him. See, none of you can see how amazing I actually am. Because, I know, right? Well, my mom can. My mom can. See, deep down below this, below every bit of my failure, below every bit of my weird um, attitudes, below every bit of the mistakes that I've ever made, I look just like Jesus. You look just like Jesus. And so to say that you ever have a problem with anything is a lie from the pit of hell. It's not even been revealed. Like, God has this secret party waiting. Because when we see him, we'll be like, 
I look just like you. I didn't even realize. I've been staring in a mirror this whole time. Let me read a verse out of uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. In verse 21, from he made him who knew no sin to be sin for me, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So if there's any part of your life that, one, doesn't look like you're a child of God, two, doesn't resemble Jesus himself, or doesn't look like a new creation, or doesn't look like the righteousness of God in Christ, that source is from a lie. Because that is what the Bible has said about you. And are you going to put your identity in your actions or what Scripture says? Are you going to put your identity, who you are, in what you've done or what he's done? Because you have to make a choice. You either get one or the other. Like we can't blend the two. We can't mix it. I either have to be judged based on what the Word says or what I think about the world. And just like that baby, we have got to go deeper than just, ooh, it tastes like a lemon or ooh, it tastes like a popsicle. If you've bitten into any of these poison apples, spit it out. Let that stuff come out of your mouth. Call it for what it is, that it's a lie. I want to remind you that you are not defined by your past mistakes. What you've done in the past does not define who you are. What Christ did on the cross defines who you are. So stop holding on to that old lifestyle. Stop holding on to the lies that the enemy has beat you up about. You are defined based on what Christ has done on your behalf. And when we, uh, when we stay dedicated, when we stay connected to our identity, it keeps the door shut on a lot of stuff that trips us up. When we drop those anchors of that old identity, we soar up just like a helium balloon. Since it's hard to observe genuine identity, we need the word to show us what truth looks like. We also need our brothers and sisters next to us to help us see what truth is. So we have to stay personally connected to our identity. And when the enemy comes against us with a lie, stay connected to who you are in Christ. And you fight against that lie by staying connected. Well, if it's important for us to realize that stuff, it is also important for you to do that to other people. If you are fighting the fight of identity and trying to figure out who you are in Christ, I promise you, even though that the person next to you looks like they have everything put together, they don't. I, I didn't want to out anybody about that, but we are all fighting the fight of identity. And so when you look across the room and see someone not living up to who they are in Christ, won't you go encourage them? Because we don't come up to them and say, stop sinning, because that's not useful. What we do is go up to someone and say, do you know who you are? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have an issue with this anymore. Who you are is clothed in Christ. People who are clothed in Christ don't have an issue with sin. You don't have an issue with sin. This is who you are as an individual. We have a passion for the truth of, a, of the gospel in our lives and what it has done in our uh, lives, in our identity, in our sin state, in, uh, in our ability to get healed. The gospel has done something amazing in all of us, and we stay passionate about that. So just the same way that we shake the lies off of ourselves, won't you try to shake the lies off of your brothers and sisters? 
Instead of saying, well, that person is just a, was it cotton-headed ninny-muffins from Elf? (gasps) Ninny-muggins. Start stripping the lies off of the people that that you're sitting next to. Um, I want to mention one final point uh, before we wrap up. We've got Father's Day coming up next week. And because of that, like I've had a a lot of um, conversations about uh, fathers and about how important fathers are. My friend Scott, I've got a friend in Nashville, his name's Scott, and we'll be listening to this, so hi, Scott. Um, And he says that we model to others the behavior that we think God shows us. So we respond the same way that we think God is responding to us. Okay, so all the fathers in the room, I know that you feel grossly inadequate for your job. I know for a fact that you feel that you're in over your head and that you are constantly reminded of all the different reasons why you're failing at life. Life is set up to be a constant reminder in the world of that you're not making enough, you're not doing enough, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you don't act like you do in high school, like you can't run as hard as you can, you're falling apart, you're getting old, you're poor, you're not providing for your family. The world is constantly reminding you of all that stuff, but I want to remind you that God is not doing that to you. God is not up in heaven going, man, I wish you'd get it together. I wish you would try harder. You know, sometimes we see uh, God as being this perfect uh, father and that no matter how high we jump, the hurdle always raises up just so that we fail. And that God comes up to us and goes, why didn't you jump higher? That is a lie. God is not doing that. He judges you not based on what you've done, but based on who you are in Christ. So that being said, your kids need more out of you than just correction. I'm not saying that you don't correct because we do correct. But if uh, frustration and irritation and correction are more common in your communication to your kids than reassuring them who they are in Christ and who they are as a son or a daughter of yours, you will teach that child that their identity is based on their mistakes. And that's the opposite of the gospel. So when we talk to our kids, we need to make sure that we are dedicated to protecting their identity. And when we address wrong behavior, we don't say, you never get this right. You always, you will never wake up on time because then that puts an identity on them that they don't deserve. See, you fix the relationship and together you guys look at bad behavior. Say, this isn't like you. When you went off on your sister, that's not you. When you kicked the dog, that's not you. This is who you are. And I promise you that action that you're frustrated at will start dissolving away. So as Father's Day is coming up, make sure you stay connected to the relationship, to the identity of that person. And dads, if you need to send one of your kids a text message right now, go ahead and take your phone out. Step out in the hallway and call them and make sure that they know that they are worth more than the list of their mistakes to you. Because I promise you, the enemy is whispering in their ear, your father is never able to be pleased. You will never do enough to please your father. And we can't afford to have fatherless kids. Does that make sense? So you need to fix 
what the enemy is trying to do to your kids by saying, oh, I just love you so much. You are amazing. Let me tell you all the different things that I see in you. You are this. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Look at you. I don't care if you made an F on your math. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You fix that identity issue and sin stuff will fall apart. So we've got a couple of things uh, to do this morning. One is we have got to get into the Word. We have got to be passionate about finding what our identity is. Because if we don't know who our identity is, we have no tools to fight against those lies. And we'll just believe anything that the, that the enemy is saying in our ear. So one, you have to figure out what the Word says about you. And two, you have to stay connected to it. Because I promise you, the enemy will try to knock you off that pedestal. But you stay connected to your identity personally. And you stay connected to the identity in others. You figure out what kind of lies are going on in, in your brothers and in your sisters. And you knock that junk off of them. But all, uh, your ability to do that is based on your relationship with your Heavenly Father. If you don't have a healthy relationship with your Father your ability to do the rest of this stuff falls apart. Your ability to get into the Word outside of a relationship with God will fall apart. So this morning, I want to remind you that your Father in heaven doesn't have a list of sins that He's wanting you to answer for. He is not some kid with a magnifying glass up in heaven. He is wanting to sit down and remind you of the amazing relationship that you already have. Let's go ahead and uh, stand up as we close out this morning. just kind of want everybody to, to close your eyes, not to protect um, pride or anything like that, but I want you to be able to shut out um, all the stuff that's going on. Shut out just for a minute the fact that, you know, your dinner is probably burning in some restaurant. Shut out all the cross-contamination of the chicken. Just kind of get alone with the Lord. I want to ask you, are you basing who you are on what you've done? Or are you basing who you are on what Jesus has done? So I'm telling you, you have a great relationship with God. You just don't even know it yet. Those that are uh, helping me at the altar this morning, if you guys could go ahead and come up. Father, we, uh, we look to you to be the dad that repairs the, the gap. And you already did that through your son. You already did that in the gospel. Uh, this morning, we're asking for, for that extra step. That Holy Spirit, that you would yourself instruct us on how great of a dad you are. pray that you would train us how to let go of our junk identity, of the lies that we've believed about ourselves. And we bless you. Sometimes we need a little bit of help to get that out. If you need a little bit of help to spit that poison apple of a lie out, that's why we have people up here. That's why we have brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us. If you can't see who you are in Christ, I want to invite you this morning. Go ahead and come on up and let us remind you who you are. Let us remind you of the greatness that we see in you. If you've never said, I want to be judged based on what Jesus did and not judged based on all my mistakes, 
want you to go ahead and come up for prayer. And if you have any sickness issues, if you've got family members that are in the, that are in the hospital, please allow us to, to pray through that stuff with you. So at this time, if, uh, if you need some prayer, go ahead and come on up.
reaches to the sky. You're faithful, Lord. Hey, guys, I, I genuinely feel that the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives and reminding us of who we are in Him. So, Father, we, uh, we look to You to be that constant reminder of who we are. And when the enemy shows up in five minutes when we have a fight in the car, Holy Spirit, You're, uh, you're infinitely more powerful than the, than the enemy in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, just keep on reminding us, like a good Father, of who we are in You. Holy Spirit, Your Word says that You take of what is Jesus's and You make it manifest. You reveal it to me. So I pray that you would do that for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of our lives, that you are constantly reminding us of who we are. Uh, we bless you in Jesus' name. If you can, go ahead and uh, take a seat. We've got a few announcements.